Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Aaron. This is my son, Malachi. You say hi. Hi. There you go. So we're going to do a reading from the book of uh, Luke, chapter 1, this morning. <clears throat> In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, will be born, child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. In this, the sixth month, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time to come and worship you. And, and thank you for just how you blessed us. And, and just to be reminded of how sweet our salvation is. I just thank you for uh, mass preparation. I pray that uh, you just give us... Uh, clear hearts and clean hearts and clear minds to receive uh, your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, the, the Sunday before Christmas is sometimes a completely different crowd. We got lots of people out of town to be with family. We got lots of people in town to be uh, with family. It's cool to see uh, Reuben and Nikki Rail, the Rail family are back. We thank God for them. Where's where, where she? She's around here somewhere. Um, oh, oh, there you are. Hey, Merry Christmas. <laughs> also, I don't know, some of you may or may not know that, that uh, infusion, there's an infusion house church in San Marcos, fearlessly led by Josh and Monica and their family. And they're here with us this morning, so we thank God for you. Wave so people know who you are. If, if you don't know them, do yourself a favor and introduce yourself to them. They're some of the most encouraging people uh, you will ever meet. In fact, I'm tempted to just close this up and ask Josh to come up here and preach, preach for me. You could do that, right? Drop of the hat? No? I'll get you up here somehow. I don't know how yet, but I will. You know, we've, um, we've been in an Advent series based mostly on the Old Testament. Advent is not a word that we use a whole lot. What in the world is Advent? One definition I found says this. Advent is a season observed in many Christian churches as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the nativity or the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. See, now here's the thing. Advent is all about waiting, and so every Christmas Advent season, I come face to face with my hatred for waiting. And so every Christmas, I am reminded of my need to repent. 
And so every Christmas, I end up confessing how much I hate waiting. And so every Christmas, you all have to hear about it. One of the hardest things for me to do is wait for anything, like traffic jams or checkout lines, waiting for the microwave. <laughs> Why do we hate waiting so much? You know, we got things to do, places to go, and waiting's just not part of the plan. The truth is, we live in a broken world where bracing for the next great tragedy has become a way of life. So if we can't control the big things, you know, like crashes and, and cancer and drunk drivers, we like to think, you know what, at least I can control how I spend my time. And then some inconvenience comes along and says, sorry, man, you got to wait. And waiting is a major part of our, of our lives. You, I mean, if you've been here any amount of time at all, you know our story. I've, I've been waiting for a long time for, for my wife to experience healing from all of her ailments. Many of you have been waiting with me and praying for her. I'm so glad I don't have to do that alone. Maybe you've been waiting for something important too. Maybe you've been waiting for healing. Maybe, maybe you've been waiting uh, for a, a relationship to get healed. Maybe you've been waiting for a special someone to come into your life. Maybe you've been uh, waiting for a job that you don't hate or any job at all would be nice. And when these things don't happen, when we think they should, we get anxious and we can get angry. And that easily turns into cynicism and hopelessness. So, you know, I'm encouraged when I open the Gospel of Luke and the author introduces us to people. The first people we meet are all waiting. Zachariah and Elizabeth are, are too old to have kids, but, but, but they long for a child and they are still waiting. Simeon's ready to die, but not yet because he's still waiting for something. And, and Anna's 84, and for 60 years she's lived as a widow. And so she waits and she prays in the temple. And we have Mary, this teenage girl with an uncertain future, and she's waiting too. And so I love this. The, the author, Luke, Instead of introducing us to the, you know, the, the power players, the people that make things happen, he introduces us to people who are waiting for something to happen because they can't make things happen. That's encouraging to me. And who are these people and what are they waiting for? Well, they're all part of awaiting Israel. If you go through the Old Testament, you will see this expression over and over and over again that keeps coming up, and it says, my soul waits for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. The Old Testament is about Advent. You know, the first kings of God's people, Saul and King David and their stories, what we've been looking at the last few weeks, their main purpose is to point to the Lord, to point to the true king. And this is a prayer of King David. You know, my, my soul waits for the Lord. King David who prayed, I will exalt you, my God, my king. And so God's people wait. But not all Israel 
are waiting. The main criticism of the prophets uh, that they bring against Israel is that most of them have given up. We're done waiting for God. We're going to make our own God, something tangible, something we can have right here, right now. And they've given into idolatry. And guess what? We're like them more than we like to admit. But here in Israel, there is a small remnant who perseveres in their waiting. God, speaking through the prophet Zephaniah, he says this about them. He says, in your midst, I will leave a humble and lowly people, and those who are left in Israel will seek refuge in the name of Yahweh. So let's get personal right now. Let me ask you something. This is not a rhetorical question. I don't expect you to answer out loud, but I at least expect you to answer it uh, truthfully, as honestly with yourself as you can. What is it right now that you are waiting for? What is it in your life that's, that has not worked out the way that you thought it would work out or is not working? It seems like something's falling apart. It's not part of the plan. What is it that comes to your mind right now? It's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be anxious. What I want to tell you this morning is whatever it is that you're waiting for, Christmas is especially for people who are waiting. For centuries, the humble and powerless waited, but then silently, behind closed doors, word finally came that the Lord was finally on his way. And when he shows up, he shows up to us as a baby. He became one of the Jews to save his people. And on the cross, he died to conquer evil death and eternal judgment. And on the third day, he rose again. And after meeting his followers for 40 days, he ascended into heaven. And the two angels said to them, in the same way you have seen Jesus go into heaven, you will see him return. Now, the definition of Advent that I showed you at the beginning was edited because I edited it. Say that three times fast. There's more to the definition. This is the full definition. It says, Advent is a season observed in many Christian churches as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of the nativity of Jesus at Christmas and the return of Jesus at the second coming. That means I got to repent of my hatred for waiting all year round. Not just on Christmas time. And so we wait. And here's the point. Christmas is about waiting for King Jesus to return and make everything new. That's your hope. As you are waiting in the midst of your suffering... Christmas is about waiting for King Jesus to return and make everything new. Let me tell you something. I need you all to remind me of that. We need to remind each other of that regularly. And I believe we can learn from Mary here. I want to see four truths that God shows us through Mary, truths that I want to be a part of my life as I wait for the return of the King to make everything new. So what does waiting for King Jesus mean? First of all, Waiting for King Jesus means 
we are waiting in the promise. Now, that point doesn't necessarily grab you by the heart, but it's powerful, and I'll show you why. This is the most important point. Mary is able to wait because her waiting is based on God's promise. Now, let me show you. Angel shows up, talks with Mary, um, leaves. Mary runs to Elizabeth and sings this song of praise because of what the angel told her. And there are only 10 short verses in her song, and she quotes the Old Testament 19 times. So she knew her Old Testament, and she knew what the Old Testament was about. And she sings about God fulfilling his great promise that the Lord is coming to us. We're cursed with evil, sickness, death, and shame, but the Lord is coming to us. This broken world can't fulfill our deepest longings, but the Lord is coming to us. He will rescue his people. He will satisfy our deepest longings in a new heavens and a new earth because the Lord is coming to us. This is her heart as she's singing. It's all based on her knowledge of the Old Testament, and it's coming to fruition. And so what you need to know is that Christmas was not this crazy new idea that, that, that the angel just kind of shows up and, announcement, and announces to her. I mean, she, she was not caught off guard by this at all. She was expecting something. She, she just didn't know it would involve her. Christmas is the fulfillment of the Old Testament that she was singing about. And I'm sure she's shocked that, that, that God would involve her. I'm sure she had a few questions about the details, like why in the world would Almighty God, the creator of the universe, be born in a barn, in a feed bin, to a broke teenage girl? So she may have had questions like that, but there's one thing that was clear, that God is keeping his promise, the Lord is coming to us. Now, are, are you beginning to see, are you beginning to get a glimpse of, of why this promise has power? It's the reason Mary and her people could wait all those years in all their suffering, and it's the same for us. Now, I'm telling you this morning, no matter how intense your hard times are, no matter how intense your heartache is, no matter how intense, you know, your disappointments are, they cannot weaken the power of the promise. In fact, the worse your situation, the more precious and powerful the promise becomes to you. Do you believe that this morning? The promise itself empowers you to wait in your suffering. Like I told you, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for God to heal my wife with all her ailments. Guess what? She's waiting too, and it's a lot worse for her. And sometimes in my waiting, I get discouraged. Pastor's not perfect. I get discouraged sometimes. And in those times, Shannon, in her waiting and in her suffering, prays for me. <laughs> that is faith in the promise. Otherwise, she wouldn't bother praying. 
In the midst of, of just difficult times and lately some scary times, her faith in God and his promise enables her to persevere in her weakness. And I thank God for Shannon because God knew that so often I would be weak in my waiting. Do you ever feel weak in your waiting? Do you? I'm weak in my waiting because I am weak, and so are you. And at least part of that, at least for, for me, part of that is because instead of, of waiting in God's promise to show up and make all things new, I, I wait in my wish for better circumstances. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting better circumstances, but when that's what I'm waiting in, and, and when it's threatened or blocked or lost, that's when I become impatient and miserable in my waiting. I have all kinds of wishes. And as far as I can tell, most of them are pretty good. And when things don't play out the way that I want, I need to remember what God tells us through the prophet Isaiah, that even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So how can we practice this waiting this Christmas? You know what, this Christmas you might have some happy times. But also many of you are going to have heartbreak as well. Both heartbreak and happy times need to point you to the promise. When you see kids' faces filled with wonder and excitement and you hug your family and, and your friends, let that happy stuff you know, remind you that a day is coming when all relationships will be perfect and last forever. But maybe this Christmas you're just haunted. You're haunted by, by loneliness. You're haunted by regrets of the past. You're haunted by the loss of a loved one. Let that heartbreaking stuff remind you that a day is coming when God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Sorrow and sighing will be no more. This is what waiting for King Jesus means, waiting in the promise. Waiting for King Jesus also means that we're focused in the moment. I'll explain what I mean. Look at Mary in verse 27. It says that she was a virgin, betrothed to a man or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. She's not just sitting around waiting. She's actively involved in life. In her particular case, she's decided to get married. They're making big decisions together about a future, about children, about moving into a home, making a living. She's been actively seeking God uh, to honor God in every area of her life, including her sexuality, because when you're waiting in the promise, it enables you to make big decisions about your future with freedom, hope, and joy. But when we wait in our wishes, big decisions about a move, about a job, about a relationship, about the future of our, our career, whether I have kids or not, or how many, or to adopt, or job changes, you know what? That can cause us to lose our freedom, hope, and joy. We freeze up with fear that we're going to mess everything up. We'll ruin our lives. Now, here's the deal. We want to make wise decisions. But if there's no, no freedom and joy in the process, it's most likely that we have lost sight of God's promise. Listen, I know that some of you are facing some real tough decisions. 
and you're not sure which direction your life is going to go. And if you're trusting the gospel promise that King Jesus will return to make all things new, then you don't have to fear that you're going to make a mistake and ruin your life. You don't have to fear that you're going to blow it so bad that you're going to miss out on God's best. It's not going to happen. God's promise won't let that happen. And God always keeps his promises. Mary's totally focused in the moment. In Luke, the author says that Mary treasured up these things in her heart and pondered them. She is aware that God's promise is alive and at work right here, right now, and that she is a part of it. And, and, and when you wait in God's promise, you realize that God's promise is alive and at work right here, right now, and you are a part of it. You're aware of what God is doing in and through you right where you are. Most people, so many people think, well, if I could straighten this out, then maybe God can use me. Or that God was going to use me, you know, to, to do this. I felt this calling, but it just, it's not working out. That God is working in and through you right where you are. Mary hasn't done anything except be a poor peasant girl, right? God chose to work in and through her. It's all God anyway. So waiting for King Jesus also means that we're involved in the mystery. You are involved in the mystery. That's our third point. Let me show you verse 30. The angel said to Mary, do not be afraid. Poof, this angel shows up out of nowhere. Would have scared me to death. And the angel says, hey, Mary, you are going to be a pregnant virgin and give birth to God. Now, don't be afraid. Nothing is crazier than the mystery of the incarnation. God becomes a man. And he doesn't show up as a king or a billionaire or a powerful politician, five-star general. He shows up as a fetus conceived out of wedlock. This teenage peasant girl is the mother of God? Yeah. She was chosen by God to bear God and to care for God. For nine months, God floated in her womb, and she feels God stretching and pushing and says to Joseph, put your hand here and feel God kicking Mary bears God into the world. And when Jesus is born, she takes care of God. Um, and, and, and she changes God's diapers. She teaches the Almighty how to walk. I mean, we have no category for that. But Scripture says he was fully human, like us in every way, except without sin. God had a young teenage mom who told him what to do. Jesus, it's time for bed. Put on your jammies, go potty, get in bed. Don't leave the toilet seat up. And God would say, okay, mama. Now, Mary was involved in the mystery like no one else. As the bearer and carer of God, she was totally unique. But here's what's amazing, all right? I, I want us to grasp this here. Anyone who waits on God is also involved in the mystery of the incarnation. Like Mary, you bear God. 
Let me explain. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, made his promise, this promise to all who wait for him. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Meaning God dwells in his people. God has been incarnated in those who wait for him. God uses you to bear Jesus into the world. And when we do this together as the church, we bring more of Jesus and more of his grace and more of his kingdom into the world. But guess what? You also care for Jesus. You also care for Jesus in the world. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 that when he returns to judge the world, he will say to those who are waiting for him, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. If we're Christians, how can we practice waiting for God? Let me ask you this way. How will you be involved in the mystery of the incarnation? How will you bear God into the world through his love and through his truth and through his joy. How will you care for Jesus in the world by ministering to those who are in need? Is there anything specific that comes to your mind? I mean, use your imagination. Just don't sit, you know, passively. You think, pray, God, show me how you want me to live this out. Is there anything specific, any opportunities that jump in your mind? It just might be the Holy Spirit saying, go for it. Do it. <laughs> Live it out. Start today. Don't just talk about it. Put your faith into action. And maybe it's not right now. Maybe he wants you to wait a bit, but you start praying for it. It's an act of faith. Go for it. Now, finally, waiting for King Jesus means we're trusting in the Lord. And that's our fourth point. And I've noticed that if you're following along in your outline, there is no fourth point. Because I flaked out and forgot to put it there. But trusting in the Lord is the way we live the Christian life. The whole Christian life about trusting in the Lord. Look how Mary responds. She says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How could she respond like that? And what word is she talking about? 
Well, it goes back to the promise of Isaiah. The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and he will give birth, or she will give, this child will give birth to a son. And, um, excuse me, let me start over. Isaiah, in Isaiah it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the middle of it all, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your waiting, in the middle of your misery, in the middle of it all, God is with you. And he is with you right now. He is with you no matter what. He is with you even if it doesn't feel like it. The way you feel about it doesn't change whether or not God's with you or for you. It doesn't depend on the way you feel about it. He is with you no matter what. That's a promise. And God keeps his promises. Isaiah goes on to say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign over his kingdom with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Mary knew this promise. And it made all the difference in the world. So let me ask you something. What if you believed this promise and you lived it out? Uh, what difference would it make in our city if, if our whole church believed it more than ever before? What difference would that make? Guess what? We have a picture. We're given an amazing picture in Hebrews. The author says many Christians, they were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. How in the world could they endure all that? How could they, how could they persevere? They had the promise didn't matter what happened in their life. They weren't waiting for things to get better, to do something for God or whatever. In the midst of it all, in the midst of the heartache, the pain, the suffering, in their weakness, God is glorified. You have the promise too. This promise is for you. This is not prosperity, baloney, or whatever. This promise is for you. This is gospel promise for you. And you don't need anything else. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, Therefore, let us also lay aside every weight 
Let us set aside every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the protector or the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how our king takes over the world. This is how he advances his kingdom. This is how he keeps his promise through the power of the cross, the ultimate Christmas gift paid with great sacrifice to give you life, a life filled with love and joy and peace with God, a life of faith in King Jesus who makes good on his promise to save you and to live through you and to use you to change the world. So now you can face whatever life throws at you and he will use you, whether you're strong or weak, to glorify God who keeps his promises. Christmas is not just some shallow sentimental holiday. Christmas is down to earth. It's about God being down to earth, becoming a man, God with us, God with you. So that means that you can wait in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your disappointments, in the midst of your weakness, without going crazy and without being crushed. And while you wait, you can pray the words of our next song, all year round. O come, thou king of nations, bring an end to all our suffering. Bid every pain and sorrow cease and reign now as our prince of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. So, be realistic about your problems and the world's problems. Realize that you can't fix it. Remember, that's why Christ came to us. And rejoice. Stubbornly rejoice in the midst of your hard times. Rejoice in Jesus' promise to return to us one day. Rejoice in this promise, and it will change your life. Rejoice in this promise as a church as God's people, and it will change the world. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?